Welcome to the Event Tech Podcast, where we explore the ever-evolving world of event technology every week. This show is brought to you by Endless Events, the event management company on the cutting edge of trends. Now, let's talk tech. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Event Tech Podcast. The man across me digitally is the limping Brant Kruger of Event Technology Consulting. And that gentleman over there is the adjoining Will Curran of Endless Events. I like it. You're not actually limping today, are you? No, no, I'm okay, not as, yeah, far as, yeah. I, as far as I can tell. <laughs> well, I hope that like you don't like stub your toe like right after this episode and I like forewarned you of right. something. Yeah. And I've and I've I've predicted that you will be next to something. I will be next to something. Adjoining, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm next to a computer right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, so today we wanted to talk a little bit about the future and where things are going. And and Brant, you kind of like, I, it feels like we've built up to something, but then where are we going from this? It's a weird time in the industry right now as, as everybody's coming, you know, back to in-person as much as I would like to say that we're reincorporating the in-person audience. Uh, there's definitely a, a, a seems like there's a, a rush to just do in person, and a lot of the online stuff is kind of going by the wayside. It's it's mm -hmm. people are going hybrid is hard, so I'm not even going to try, um, or it's expensive, so I'm not even going to try, or it's you know I mean there's a lot of reasons, some of which are good reasons. Like I would rather people you know not do hybrid than do it badly, I guess, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, after, on a certain, to a certain aspect, but, but to a certain point, but it's at the same time, uh, you know, and I think I've said this before in this podcast, and it's maybe that's just the vibe for 22. It feels like we're in a bit of an inhale moment of just like, mm -hmm. <gasps> what's going to happen? Like, yeah. like what's going to happen with, with event technology over the course of this next year? I was watching as we record this, you know, just a, a week or so ago, there was a couple of different companies releasing their, you know, Q2 uh, reports, their financial reports. So like Cvent was up. Um, I want to say on 24 was down, um, you know, so just, you know, as we start to look at some of those things, um, you know, Cvent obviously had a big, uh, you know, a big foothold on in-person events before the pandemic. So it's not mm -hmm. like they, you know, they're, they're just going back to what they were doing before. So I yeah. can totally understand them being up. And then on 24, I can totally understand them being down as we start to, you know, come back to what I would say a more realistic, normal number of online events and hybrid mm -hmm. events. Um, and I think all of the, you know, all of the online portals, all of the online venues are probably down you know, you're over your eyes. That's why we're seeing layoffs and things like that, uh, which we've we've discussed in the past. And so it definitely feels like, um, you know, from that aspect, all of those companies are down year over mm -hmm. year. But I, what I struggle with is that anybody who didn't realize that was a bubble, <laughs> you know, really, really has has a problem, right? You yeah, know, it's like yeah, for sure. it, it was so obviously going to be a bubble. That's not the way life was going to be forever. Yeah. of millions and millions of purely online meetings, um, there was always going to be a return to in-person at the end of all of this. It was just a question of how fast and when, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it was going to happen. And so it really does feel like we moved the ball, you know, 10 yards down the field, and now it's kind of a new day and a new dawn. That's, you know, the U.S. football reference of football 10. <laughs> it's a new dawn, it's field, a new right? day. It's a new dawn, it's a new day, right. Um, and I'm free. Yeah, and, um, <laughs> so 
it's an interesting time right now. You've got yeah. all of these companies that are down um, that should have known that was going to happen at some point. You've got other companies that, you know, pre-pandemic had other available options, whether that was the in-person event app or, you know, maybe some second screen technology. And now, you know, they're doing okay. So yeah, where yeah. do we go from here is kind of the overall question for the day. Yeah, so we we collect from every single person who downloads our content coming in through our site, we ask the question of like, what type of event are you planning next? Virtual, in-person, right. or hybrid? And I've been, I created a pie chart report that I actually put like on my daily report that I look at. And I'm you know, just curious to see like, yeah, what's the percentage of people that are compared to all the people downloading our content? What types of events are they playing? And definitely virtual has been getting smaller and smaller and smaller mm -hmm. and smaller and smaller. Not necessarily the virtual component, but which I'll talk about in just a sec, but just, yeah, pure virtual feels like people are like, yeah, it's it's, it's going to be a webinar. Like basically it feels like uh, everyone knows what a webinar is going to go back to that virtual events. Yeah. Really, really hard to do, or I'm doing less of them. Right. Um, unless they have an extremely global audience and they don't have the budget to be able to do an in-person plus the, 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 the online, you know, they, 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 no one really feels like they're going towards just pure virtual anymore. And, but, uh, and what was interesting is I thought what I was going to see is like that virtual pie section get engulfed with hybrid and it was basically going to replace and just be like hybrid just slowly eats away at virtual and then boom we're good to go instead what i saw was at first it was yeah hybrid boom coming in but then now i see hybrid stagnated and now in person is what is eating it so that meaning that people are planning events with no regard for the virtual audience at all um and i've been ranting about this probably for a lot of podcasts in a lot long time but just like it feels like the letting go of everything we just worked on for the last like two years or so like in a <laughs> yeah. lot of ways like it feels yeah. like a, oh yeah remember all that pain we had yeah don't even worry about it anymore so you know i think it's really really interesting to see like yeah where is event technology exactly gonna go in that yeah like everyone's just kind of going back to a straight up in person i'm also starting to feel too that like this other looming trend that I'm starting to feel too is that everybody right now is super busy, has lots of events going on, things like that. But I'm feeling like there's a cliff coming up that like people are like right now have been, you know, when it came to the rush to virtual, people were like, well, I have the budget. I have to go virtual because I was going to do this in-person event. I have millions of dollars to spend. I got to spend it. Then 2021 was like, okay, let's try to do that again, but better. And then this year they're like, oh, we can go back to in-person. But then what they're realizing is that attendances are down people's engagement feels a lot lower too because they're like you know or feels the engagement feels different because people are just excited to be back in person so like less people are attending sessions or more just hanging out with each other and also too like just like attendance in general is down and what i'm starting to, to fear is that you combine that with a potential economic downturn and or an economic downturn i think actively happening you're gonna see that like come q4 a lot of companies are going to be like oh Maybe we shouldn't do events right now, or maybe, you know, and what's great, what would have been great about this, and sorry, I might be ranting a little bit, is that like we, like <laughs> I the never rant, so <laughs> never, you, you don't, never, you don't get to, yeah, never yeah. ever. Um, you know, I think like pure virtual was also a solution, not only for pandemics, but also when 
recessions and economic downturns are happening because people don't want to spend money on travel and moving around. And I have a feeling that because everyone's so burnt out on it from the pandemic, that what's going to end up happening is that there will be a decline in events in general or downsizing in events or something's going to happen that's going to change the industry again. But because no one wants to go pure virtual or because people have and also because people haven't figured out how to cost effectively or easily do hybrid, we're going to be in this like really weird, weird zone. It, you know, it's it's funny that you say that because that's actually almost exactly where my head was at as well. That 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 was going to be kind of my big bold prediction for, for this episode. <laughs> so let's just get it Whoops. out of the way right let's now. Let's, let's get know, into it. Yeah, I got I more. Was, if you want more yeah, bold no, predictions, I think, we got it. I, I think that's so. I, I agree completely that I think what's going to happen is that as we you know we're already seeing layoffs, we're seeing hiring freezes at industry level, corporate level, has nothing necessarily to do with us uh, in the event industry. It's just across the board. But as bean counters then start to look for other ways to save money uh, across the organization, they're going to look at our 2020-2021 budgets that were significantly lower because we were doing online events and didn't mm. necessarily have to didn't necessarily have to do um, you know all the catering and the transportation and all that kind of stuff. Wait, we spent how much flying half the company to Orlando in in you know May? Mm -hmm. And I think they're going to go back. Wait, you know those online events? Those were pretty successful. Didn't we have like more numbers and like higher turnout and stuff yeah. like that? And so I think I think interesting people needed you know to a, to a certain extent this this return to in person but I, I i feel like once we get past that initial wave of enthusiasm mm -hmm. for oh my god we get to get together and we get to hug and we get to hang out and have beers and all that kind of good stuff that the bean counters are going to come back and say that's great but we had better numbers yeah under when we were doing it digitally when we we're doing it fully online what can we do to you know to to boost that back up and so i think planners are going to have to come back around to they they might not want to but i think yeah. they're going there's going to be a pressure to either go back to being fully digital or mm. to have some kind of hybrid component where and this is what i've maintained for the last 10 years that when you do hybrid right you get all of the benefits of the in-person event and all of the benefits of the online event. Mm -hmm. And for not that much more money, a lot more work, a lot more planning, a lot more thought, but for not that much more money uh, mm -hmm. on the budget side. And so I think we're going to get past this initial wave of enthusiasm for in-person events, and then people are going to start, I think those numbers are going to start creeping back up again on online events. That that's a really good point. So I'll, I'll t piggyback on your the bean counter, you know, CFO kind of thinking too, because I work very close with my CFO all the time. So I see how CFOs think. Is that to your point? They're gonna look at it and be like, but in 2020 we had more revenue. We you know like we were we had you know we crushed it in 2020 for a lot of businesses for most businesses. And I understand if you're an event company listening, you might not be thinking to yourself, we crushed it in 2020. But for most companies outside the events industry, like you look at Amazons and the big tech companies, they killed it in 2020 because everyone went online and it was potentially everybody's super successful year, which is why we're seeing this contracting and these layoffs happen is that things are slowed down. Well, what's going to happen is that the CFO is going to go, we had our most successful year doing virtual only. 
So why do we not do virtual again and save that money and we had our most successful year? And I think one of the biggest problems is that because the events industry is not data driven and because I don't think most event professionals have the capability, maybe even the desire, but probably mostly the capability to be able to look at their data and prove true ROI from their events that they will not have an argument to be able to compete with it. And the CFO from a data perspective is going to have more data and be able to point at it even though in reality, there might be some data that shows that when you did the in-person, people connected better, maybe you you developed more long-term contracts, whatever that may be. But I don't know if people are going to be able to really do that. Like, if I don't know if event planners and meeting planners are really going to be able to point to that data. And I think they're going to get strong-armed by the finance department of the companies. I, that's a fan, I think it's a fantastic point. I think you're dead on. I think if you don't have the ability to prove that your in-person event is worth it, you're going to be under enormous pressure to, I think, to go back to online events. Um, uh, and so if that's important to you, <laughs> you better start finding ways to, me to measure that yeah. and be able to show more than just, well, people liked it. We, yeah. you know, we yeah. really enjoyed it. We had a good time. We people smiled. want it. You people know. want it. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. You're going to have to prove it. And I think it's, it's further, you know, one of the things I want to be really careful of in this discussion is there's a tendency in our industry to be very much zero sum game that like we're either doing in person or we're doing hybrid or we're doing online. Mm. And I think the really true best strategy is to have all of these tools available and to use all of these tools in your toolkit so that you're doing X number of online events, uh, you know, throughout the year. And that's your like, top of the funnel type thing. If you think about the classic yeah, sales yeah. funnel kind of thing is yeah. you've got the online events to expand your audience. And then maybe you've got, so it goes kind of online event. And then a couple months later, maybe another online event. And then a couple months later, maybe a small hybrid event. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and then that's all driving traffic toward maybe your giant in-person event. If that's where, you know, if you make all your money from the expo, uh, you know, at the in-person event. That's a way of driving traffic. So I just want to be really careful about this idea. It's so easy to be like locked into that, well, we're going to do this or this or this. And I think the best strategy is an and strategy that we, you know, we're able to use online events to drive. Tra if the goal is to get people to come to your in-person event, because that's where you make your money or whatever, yeah. um, then you can use these other technologies and tools to drive traffic to your to that event. I'll definitely agree with the the year-round strategy. Like the year-round strategy is so important right now. I think that like you're 100% right. And like I mean, I'll sprinkle in, you know, what Will talks about too much is like community is an opportunity for that too. Is like you do some webinars, you do some online events, and then you do small events. Like when you do that all centered around this reoccurring people, that's how you get that like really deep engagement. And that's how you're going to be able to predict too, like how many people are actually going to show up at your event. One thing I want to add in that I think that totally underrated thing that I don't think everyone's talking about as much is to, is your point of small hybrid events. Mm. I think like right now, Everybody assumes it's like webinar online or big blowout, you know, in-person hybrid, whatever event. But like, I think there's so much opportunity right now for everybody to just go like, let's try to do a really small event, like 50 people and stream all the content and, you know, engage, do it hybrid and like give that experiment. Because like right now, people's biggest concerns right now is like your point, the stress, like the stress and the time it's going to take to do it. 
and the budget. Well, when you reduce the number of people and the complexity with it and you do it smaller, it allows you to experiment and fix those problems. So then that way, when you go towards the big event that you're doing, it's not as scary and it's not as big budget because let's be honest, if you like, if you end up being like, okay, we have to live stream it, blah, 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 and do all these things like that, you know, for your big in-person event, you might need lots and lots of camera angles and things like that. But, and you might need a big production crew with lots of fancy cameras and things like that to do it. But if you do a small event, you might be able to get by with smaller cameras, less cameras, and all those things like that. And so you can see what's going to actually work before you go big on doing it. And I think, uh, I'll give shout outs to a specific event technology company who's proving how to do this is Goldcast did this. Um, and in uh, all disclosure, Goldcast and Endless like have a partnership and they provide our software for our webinars. Um, but I've talked to their marketing team and they did a hybrid event and they did it small on purpose. And they did it kind of like scrappy in a lot of ways. And I think that what they did is they like, we had so many learnings from it. And I think that's the biggest thing right now is because the events industry is so driven on learning from doing that we have this opportunity to learn by doing, but not risking your whole budget, your whole annual event or whatever it may be. And let's, let's be honest, I think also attendees are craving smaller experiences right now too. But you hit on about three or four great <laughs> topics in there. No, it's fine. It's wonderful. You know, the, one of the things that I always loved, if you have this multi-event strategy, so if you have more than just that one big event, if you're able to expand to this multi-event strategy, it, it does, it gives you that opportunity to have like the farm team. So, you know, one of my clients during the pandemic um, locked into one of the big brand name providers for their annual event. But then they had four or five smaller online events throughout the year, and they used that to test other providers. And so like that's your farm team, right? So you can like, you know, mm. hey, you know, this time we're going to try this company and this time we're going to try this company. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. And then the idea being that if they found something that they liked better than the big brand name, they would mm -hmm. be able to then bring that to the... Uh, you know, to the big annual conference and already then have the experience, right? So they're not going in cold. You've already learned the ins and outs of the program and what, you know, what the pros are, what the cons are, hopefully more pros than cons. And, you know, you move it up to the big leagues then. So, so that's one great reason to have those multiple events. So, but then the other, the other thing that you talk about is that it's easy to get locked in again to this kind of like either or mentality that mm -hmm. hybrid therefore must be an in-person event that's being broadcast to remote attendees and what's easy to forget is that hybrid is anytime you've got multiple locations involved yeah. and yeah. so to Good have point. the smaller event like you were just talking about but have 20 people in minneapolis 20 people in phoenix 20 people in new york 20 people in la 20 people in london 20 people in shanghai you know get these smaller groups all together kind of like we were starting to play around with when you guys you know pulled out of nowhere the uh the uh, alt control, alt -delete, control delete. Yeah. right which which yeah. that's a whole longer story for another day but in the end what you wound up with were these multiple multiple hubs of yeah. a group in new york and I wound up flying to New York to be a part of that because it was way easier than me flying to London or where were you? It was Amsterdam or uh, Amsterdam, you yeah, Amsterdam. Yeah. So I wanted to be a part of that program. It was much easier for me to go to New York than it was for it to go to Amsterdam. And so keep, keeping that in mind as well, that you can have 
multiple locations for where your attendees are at, all being a part of the same program. That's hybrid too. It doesn't have to be one central location being broadcast out to the rest of the world. I 100% agree with you on like, I think I would almost call it, I think I forgot what exactly part of our model. I think we call it like a satellite is what we call it, where it's almost like yeah, a there's, viewing, there's, part, yeah, a viewing some, party, you know. If there's a main location and there's like hub and spoke, you can yeah. do that. Um, back in the day, we called them pods. Yeah, yeah, um, pods and, and uh, you know, but, I, you know, just multi-location events. Or, you well, know, I'm thinking too. about it too. Like everybody's concerned about like budget right now too. And like, you know, let's talk from like get nerdy on the event technology side. I was just thinking about this, like, more people should do this viewing party-esque style of event because your AV costs are ridiculously low doing this. You know, like if you're thinking about doing a hybrid event where you're going to have speakers and things like that, you need microphones, you need mixers, you know, all these things like that. But if you know, if you're doing a viewing party, let's say you have 20 people, a lot of these like places you can find already have the built-in AV with a TV and speakers installed and you could rent that room for $300 for the whole day and have everything you need and literally just need to plug your laptop in, open up the live stream and boom, you're good to go. And then, you know, have people take breaks by walking outside the room or whatever it may be. And, you know, you have this ability to potentially reach more people at a lower cost. I wonder if we, this is maybe email us, eventtechpodcast at helloens.com if you like this idea. We should do a spreadsheet where you and I, knowing how much we know how much AV costs, try to figure out like what would it take to bring together 5,000 people in a completely like in the, like a studio broadcast out to 20 different locations versus putting 20,000 people in the same or 20,000 2,000 people 5,000 people in the same room in the AV for all of that I wonder what the cost difference would be but like I have the feeling I wonder if it would be cheaper just to do purely virtual in a studio broadcast it out to those to reach those you know well there's so many people. other costs involved too I mean yeah. right so so feeding 5,000 people yes. versus feeding you know, even a thousand people in five different locations is going to be different. Yeah. And and much less more more locations and, and smaller amounts would be different as well. And then the transportation costs of like rather than flying five thousand people from all over the world to one location, just knocking that down to even shorter hops. So, yeah. you know, I'm gonna fly you know, to New York, you know, and so we do New York, London, LA. Uh, you know, Shanghai, uh, you know, Tokyo, you know, hit, hit, you know, Mumbai, you know, hit all over the world. So what if we do the, this kind of thing? That's, you know, that's those intangible amounts. Like, you know, I don't have to take an extra day out of the office as well. Mm -hmm. So in addition to straight up AV costs and straight up transportation costs, there's also going to be actual, you know, kind of mental health costs of of like not having to take well, if I'm flying, you know, to Europe, that basically you lose a whole day, yeah, you know, gone. when you you're fly gone. to when you fly to Europe. It's great coming back because it's like <laughs> just one long day. But when you go there, you're pretty much, you know, I leave on Saturday, I get there Sunday morning, you know, and then you know the next day is kind of shot. Totally. I'm wondering, you know, this might be starting. It'd be to a like... hard spreadsheet, is my point. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It would be. It would be. I'll, hard I'm, I might take the do. challenge. I might take the challenge though. Maybe I'll make that like a separate content idea or something like that but yeah. i'm wondering though when it comes to this idea of like the viewing parties and stuff like that like we, we talk about like how a lot of these event technology companies have to adopt to now towards hybrid right like a lot of these purely virtual platforms have to adopt to hybrid a lot of the in-person ones are like okay we have some virtual components but now how do we make them interact with our in our, our hybrid components i'm wondering for these like smaller um viewing party-esque satellite events if you're doing multiple locations i feel like 
there's not a lot of great event technology that's going to allow you to track data because like you know like if you do a big event you're I'm going to RFID everybody. I'm going to use something like Click or I'm going to use, you know, um, Bluetooth Low Energy to track what sessions everybody's going to. And you have the ability to collect that data on those exhibitors and who's connecting with each other that way. But like if you're doing 20 different locations, I don't know if it would necessarily make sense to invest all the RFID technology and infrastructure to be able to know like who's meeting with each other, who's who's arrived and you know, if the groups are small enough, you might not need it because maybe someone can be there like manually tracking the data. But like, I wonder if there's an opportunity in that space to like really, really be able to to track people. But yeah, I don't know. I'm just starting to think. But that might no, be. I, I really think and I've said for a couple of years now, I think the technology companies that are going to come out of this the best were the ones that were in-person event app oriented companies mm -hmm. that then tacked on the ability to do remote broadcast and because they're the, they're going to have the infrastructure already rather than the companies that were already online platforms to begin with which are now which should have been should have spent the last 2 years building out hybrid technology but yeah. <laughs> none of them did as far as i know or, you know yeah, maybe no. basic they might be now it feels like i'm you know hearing folks are scrambling to try and oh no no we can we can do hybrid yeah okay so the people in the room and the people who are online are part of the same chat well uh, um, i mean <laughs> they can but you know yeah. the videos there you know some of them For though sure. uh, you know yeah and it, or it's a port like this is probably an area that I think that's going to be a big focus for 2023 is like there needs to be a big focus on the user experience for the mm -hmm. in-person attendee interacting with the virtual attendee. Like, you know, like there needs to be things like, hey, if I'm it knows I'm an in-person attendee, don't show me the live stream when I open up the app for that session. Take me straight to the chat and the polling aspects of it. You know, uh, we need to make it so, you know, it, it we have the clear differentiation of knowing who's in person versus virtual. Like, I think even some of the top platforms right now, like, you, like they don't have the ability for you to really know unless, like, that person tells you that they're not going to be there, you know? Like, um, you have the ability, I think, a lot of these platforms to put people in groups so you can change what content they see on the schedule and stuff. But, you know, I think there's a huge opportunity right now, too. Like, we have to be focusing on that user experience, what it looks like, because and this is probably the biggest challenge is that if if everyone wants to go to just in person, there's no incentive for these companies to keep building out these hybrid technologies and feet small, detailed features because they're going to say, well, most of our events are one or the other. And like you said, a zero sum game. And that's dangerous for us to be able to create this future that we think is actually the future it needs to be. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm thinking the other companies that I think are going to do well are the ones that are paying attention to production. Um, mm -hmm. So when we've got a remote speaker or something like that, I need to be able to send a clean version of the software. Like if I'm coming in via Google Meet or Teams or something like that, it's not easy to get a clean version. It's barely yeah. doable on Zoom where yeah. you can send a full screen version. But there's technology out there and Zoom is investing in technology that's more production friendly, mm -hmm. where it enables you to get a clean audio and video feed and send it to NDI and stuff like that. So Zoom's clearly got their eye on the ball of we want to be able to do it. And if I remember correctly, don't think I'm talking out of school on this. If I remember correctly, um, they're working on that kind of hybrid technology where someone can access the Zoom chat without having to be in the Zoom call. Oh, and yeah. that's something you're going to need if you're going to be able to do hybrid technology or hybrid events using Zoom. So they clearly have an eye toward coming back in, you know, how do we incorporate Zoom mm -hmm. into in-person 
meetings. Yeah. So kind of yeah. coming from the other direction. Um, so they, and, and I, I'm looking forward to uh, office hours this morning, the, uh, Alex Lindsay office hours. So drink, if that's on your bingo card, um, <laughs> uh, is uh, when Brent mentions Alex Lindsay office hours. Uh, they were going to have a crew from Zoom events on. So I will watch that on demand later today, probably. Well, maybe we'll, the next episode we'll, we'll talk the about update. the learnings from it. Yeah, the updates on it. Um, yeah, it's. I think there's a lot of things that also, like you said, clean feed. One thing I'm thinking about too, two things that I think that are necessary in addition to that, thinking about hybrid experiences is that uh, good experience for the speakers to be able to engage with the virtual attendees if it's a hybrid event as well. Um, you know, I'm coming up, I'm uh, next week I'm speaking at a, a PCMA chapter event and it's, they're doing hybrid. Proud of them for doing that. Um, and, you know, I'm doing like the, the big keynote thing and all those things like that. But like, I'm betting that I'm not going to be given like a monitor that will show me the chat or, you know, I'm going to have to log in on my phone or something like that. And it's, it's awkward. It's like, that's the thing right now is it's very, very awkward. Like there's no professional tool. That's like a teleprompting chat that lets me really engage with the audience um, on that way. So I think that's one big thing that these event technology platform companies need to figure out too, is like, how do you also create a great experience for the in-person speakers um, for them as well? Because right now everyone's focusing on, you know, virtual speakers and yeah, the, the streaming technology and broadcast studios, like you talked about. Another, another thing that I think that that needs to be focused on too is like and this is like an area that i think that everyone just decided to ditch it remember when um when when hybrid events were starting to come in people were doing things like having remote speakers come in and present to in-person attendees and yep. they just put them on yep. the screen let them speak that experience sucked so much for the presenter for the attendee and you know we, we used to joke and say like if i just wanted to watch a video i'd stay at home right and right. so like i think everyone stopped doing it i don't know do you have any speaking have you had any recent speaking engagements i've done that I, it's probably been a year since i've done like a virtual I haven't, in person but i know it is still happening um some of my clients are still trying to do it and as always i've got thoughts on the best ways to, <laughs> I've got on the best ways to do that but you know who's been you know one of the og um uh, gentleman in in live stream and on online events, Paul Cook. Mm -hmm. uh, I was just talking to uh, someone who was had, who had just gotten done talking with him. He's he's doing a lot of that and doing like oh, speaker coaching and teaching people how to do it right and like bringing people in from remote studios. So rather than trying to do it from your house, something like that, which I thought we were going to see more of. So yeah, during the pandemic, a few hotels and things like that started building out remote studios. I still think that's a good idea. Yeah. Hotel hoteliers, any hoteliers <laughs> that might be listening, um, take that executive boardroom that nobody ever uses and turn it into a small studio because mm -hmm. I still think smart execs, C-level folks are going to want to have good quality video like video calls have become a part of life mm -hmm. uh, for work um, and so to be able to be on the road for the i have to be there in person handshake you know kind of meetings and then still being able to take good quality calls um i think there's a market for that and oh, so uh, i really hope that people take that to heart and then take take the take Paul Cook's idea here of let's bring in our remote speakers, but bring them in from a studio, mm -hmm. and so that way they still don't have to travel. You mm -hmm. know, we, they, you know, at least then they're not flying. You're going to get them for less expensive. It makes you look like a pro. You know, yeah, you know what? No, we're, you're not calling from your house. No, come on, we'll set you up. We're going to set you up in a remote studio. You know, with the you know 
green room and the, all the all the goodies. And awesome. uh, I think, yeah, I think there's some definitely something to doing it that way that lets you control the situation, good quality audio, good quality video. Then it becomes more real and more of a, a, a realistic solution to uh, bringing in remote presenters. That that's really smart. You know, like I think we're lucky that we have like amazing setups at our home, so like we're used to it. But you're it's, you have a great point. Like no one's ever. I, I think maybe it's because I also have a good setup, so people don't ever ask me. But like I haven't been asked like, hey, can you go to the studio to record? Um, what <laughs> right. kind of, They're actually like, thank God, let's yeah. hire Will because he has a, a studio right. already. We don't have to pay any extra money. But I think one interesting thing about um, your point about the studios is that like. I've actually been designing my schedule for when I speak virtually around when I'm here and when I'm not. Mm. I've actually, um, you know, I think I had a couple of people reach out to me to, to do some webinars or podcasts and I literally go, I'm gone. No, like not until I get back home that I'll do this, man, because I have like a, I have, right. I think we have high standards for what we, well, what we record, yeah. right? Like I've watched some of those old event icons when I was like in Europe and I'm like, I did this with a USB headset and and that was like acceptable back then at least, but now like I'm oh, way higher standards, you know, but I think that you're right. Like there's people who are probably like me who won't wait or need to do it and, you know, would pop in on a, at a studio to get it done. One thing I think to add to your, your point is like, how can we also make sure that it's an engaging experience for the attendees as well? Like the high production value, I think gets you, past 50% of it. But even if you had high production value, I don't know if I'd still want to sit in a room and watch a big screen while someone talked on here. So that's where I think potentially the solution could be these hologram like technologies, which like I think we said was a lot of hype and like just cool to do. But like I'm at the point now where it's like I would almost maybe consider bringing in virtual speakers doing a hologram and yeah, having them come into the studio to do the hologram and everything like that to create that engaging experience that isn't just watching a presenter on a screen in some ways. See, I'm, to you... I'm totally the opposite. I'm really totally you hate you don't like I would it. Much rather I would much rather see a well produced on the screen production because and I'll tell you why because if you bring in the hologram, they're person sized. So what are you going to put on the screens? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're right. You're 100 right. Yeah. Gonna, like you, you're going to turn the camera toward toward the person size hologram, and and then, and then like blow shit. that up, and it's going to look like yeah, exactly. so, okay. So true. That's, true. That's that's my point. That's my Good point. Yeah, I, I I completely see where you're coming from. I really do. Maybe for a small um, event. Maybe for a small yeah. event hologram. There you go. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> and that's cool technology. I mean, it totally is. And even though it's still you know, basically Pepper's Ghost type technology. <laughs> it's still very cool, and um, and and very believable when it's done when it's done well. Um, but yeah, for 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 even you know anything that's got medium to large size thing, I would much rather just see a well produced video. I'm down and to make interactive. That the, I'm, interactive. Yes, because if it's if the person's just going to sit there and talk to their slides and that, that, that yes, or it's pre recorded. Just Please just don't yeah. do the pre recorded one yep. too. Yeah, that yeah. would be terrible. But if if it's live and interactive and we're talking and I'm looking at the chat and, you know, I'm anybody who's seen me present, I'm doodling on my screen and I'm yeah. bringing up slides and I'm making jokes. And, you know, that that's very different than hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm your presenter for today. Let me bring. Uh, can you can you can you see my slides? Can can you? OK, OK. Can you? See, OK. Uh, <laughs> hi, everybody. Welcome. You know, I mean, th that kind of thing, which is. Yeah unbearable in person yeah. much less watching it on a screen <laughs> that's a good point from, from a million miles away
I will uh, I'll tack on your point. Don't do uh, holograms if you have you have iMag and iMag is required for people to see a speaker. So that's one tip. And the second thing you bring up a really good point too that like it's about the quality of content. So I think I'll add in too thinking about what the presenter virtually is going to see back to. Yeah. Um I've done it a couple times now where I think I've I get like a wide angle shot of the room and let's be honest. I consider myself I consider us really engaging speakers. And I've seen it a couple of times where like everyone just ends up being on their phone, you know, like mm -hmm. they're kind of bored by it. But like, I really wish that like one of the things that makes in-person speaking great is that you really can like read the room and make eye contact with people and things like that. Like, I almost think there needs to be some sort of solution too to get the feedback to the speaker to not just be a wide shot, but I almost don't think necessarily the thing is like giving them a curated live stream too. Like I'm like maybe that is a solution is that you need someone who's like I'm going to switch between close-ups of the audience's faces then obviously isn't going back to the room in any sort of right. way um, but like would allow me to see like yeah like people's reactions people laughing and things like that as well so then that way I get more connected into the room as well that would be awesome and and it's it's just not going to happen but but if you if you had your own dedicated like PTZ camera <laughs> that you could that you could run remotely yeah. Yeah. So you could like yeah. zoom in on people's faces and like just, or just look around and be able to like look at the, you know, back of the audience, the front of the audience, like you can for real when you're up on stage, you're able to, you know, get that vibe, but I, no one's ever going to let you. That's true. <laughs> let you, you do that. You know, we're like a potential good technology. I'll buy one of those little too. USB cams. Those little, yeah, little, little USB camera. Gim, gim, gimbal USB cams that just came out. Um, the, remember the robots that you could take and like move around the venue and all those things yep. like that? Like. You know, like there's so, such huge opportunity, I think, for those two. But like the problem is just like it's cost, you know, like at some point, like you start to put these things and getting a robot or you're doing the, the PTZ feed. It's like, what's that going to cost in AV? Yeah. Maybe that extra thousand, two thousand dollars. Like at that point, unless your speaker is completely unable to come, you know, like they're just going to fly them because like a thousand dollars is a flight to anywhere in the world at this point. So like I always think at some point, too, like maybe I. I, I like ambitiously love the idea of doing this because I like the idea of not having to fly anywhere and just do it all from home, you know, but at some point, like, yeah, a flight costs. I wonder if it'll get to the point where speakers demand, they say something like, oh, you can hire, you know, Obama to come and speak for, you know, a thousand dollars. And then he's more than that. He's like a hundred thousand dollars to speak for, for virtually. And then, but in person, I can hire Obama for a thousand dollars, a thousand dollars, come Obama over my house, yeah. you know, but like he's a quarter million if you do in person, you know, right. you know, in that case, you're like, Oh, man, $100,000. What can I do with that exact amount of money? It's the, it's you know, the way on that here. I do it. Yeah. You know, like, I'm you might be like, Oh, I'll do go virtual and save that this, money. This is my price course. online. This is my price in person. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Different prices, for sure. Yeah. And to um, me, I'll be honest with you, I think you almost get a better. I mean, yes, it's great to be in person. But I think I almost give a better presentation from here. virtually because you yeah, have your because, like your setup and yeah, you've got all like, my toys. Your, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. 100%. So the last time I presented, I tried to bring a subset of my toys, and it worked for the most part. Confused the heck out of the AV guys because <laughs> they're because they, they you know that's really happening with me to, with my iPad tomorrow yeah, too. <laughs> they really wanted to run the presentation from the back of the stage, despite the or from the back you know back of the house, despite the fact that I said no no no, I really do need I just need an HDMI yeah up at the front. Right. I'll take care of everything. All I need is an HDMI, and they were just like no, just give us your presentation. I was like. Don't understand. It's not what's happening right now. <laughs> I have that's going into an ATEM, and then that's going into two different computers, and it's like, yeah. It's like, <laughs> so, it wasn't until I was there, like I was able to finally like show them the gear and be like, 
they get this it. is what I'm hooking up. I swear I'm not just hooking up a laptop because I'm one of those presenters that has to run it from my machine. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. Yeah. Which they <laughs> Anyways, totally I thought I was. Sorry. They totally did. <laughs> Um, I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole, I think, on speakers. But there, I think there's the, – to, to sum it all up, I think there's a huge opportunity for us to, to improve the experience when it comes to hybrid events, when it comes to the speaker experience as well. We're talking, about, we're talking about what happens next in event technology, and that's part of the conversation. I mean, that part of that conversation is how do we deal with presenters. Um, I thought one of the benefits of online was that it opened up your speaker palette to oh, people huge. whom you might not be able to afford. And so, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm – so famous celebrity X, and I, I would be totally down with the idea of going to a studio in my hometown rather than flying. Because again, it's it's not just the, you know, the one hour presentation that I'm going to be up there. You know, you want to come in the night before mm-hmm. so that you're fresh. So that takes out half your day the night before, and then you don't just leave. You know, the second you walk off the stage, you know, you want to stay for the reception or whatever. So just to come and present for an hour, you're really out of the office, shall we say, for like two days Yeah. Uh, yeah. To for, you know, for a single, if you come back that night, you know, it's a day, you know, two and a half days if you come back the next day. And so I think there's, I can imagine a lot of celebrities or subject matter experts or folks like that who would be totally down with either doing it from their home uh, if they've got a good setup or going to a local studio and, and doing the presentation from there for a lesser price uh, than doing that. So I think we definitely have to keep that on our radar. Uh, as technical people. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to go away, remoting people in via Zoom. People are still getting sick out there. Yep, yep. And having true. to remote it. You know, I'm quarantined. I got to stay here for the next five days. Sorry, I can't come. Great. Well, here, we'll send you a kit. And, uh, you know, and you can go from there. So it's, it's absolutely true. part of the discussion of where do we go from here is what's going on with presenters um, as, we, as we continue over these next year. I would like to think Kind of once again, once we get past this initial got to get back to being in person, I think we'll start to see that come back a little bit more as people say, yeah, I'd rather so, stay home. True, <laughs> true, true. I I think one thing that uh, another big thing I think that we have to solve is, you know, uh, is how do we get people to attend our events and how do we communicate with our attendees when they're not at the events as well? Like we, we did the whole episode on notifications. I just did like a talk um, for a group and talked, uh, almost did the whole notification conversation we had in the podcast. And I was like, I got to stop. You just listen to this episode. We talk about it in depth. But like, I think that's a big concern too for planners now moving in 2023 is like, I'm not able to convince people to buy tickets. Where is my audience? How do I talk to them, you know, all year round? And like, you know, I'm not going to pitch the whole like community being the future thing. Like, I think that could be a solution, but I think that there needs to be a solution if you're not ready to build a community. Like, how do I continue to talk to people? I'm seeing a big trend. You know, I've been attending a lot of music festivals um, because I am terrified that I will never get to see my favorite artists ever play again after (laughs) 2020, right? And what I'm noticing is outside of all these pl- uh, com- these uh, you know music festivals is these pop-ups of you can call them communities, but are communication channels for attendees to talk to each other beforehand. So um, in this case, uh, the two events that I've seen, three events I've seen this for is Base Canyon, which is what I'm going to next week. I just got back uh, a couple months ago. I went to EDC Electric Days of Carnival, and then next year is Electric Forest. And what what's interesting is that, you know, they have the email list that they can send out e- official email letters. They have their social media channels where they're posting messages and stuff. But 
what I'm finding is really powerful is like these Discord communities and Reddit communities that have popped up around these that people are using to ask questions like, hey, this is what my fanny pack looks like. Will they let me bring this in? And I think what used to be people posting on Twitter and these uh, places would get answers that way. Now it's like heavy Discord, heavy Reddit for me, and I'm seeing a lot of value in it. I'm wondering for the business community, what is that equivalent going to be like? too for people to be able to talk with each other even if they haven't bought a ticket because the problem with community and this is probably one of the issues with community is that like you have to get into the community or you have to be part of the community but what if you're like fringe on the outside and you're just worried like hey you know i'm concerned about xyz how do you get that quick information and start to engage and do it versus just like constantly badgering people and emailing a support email in some ways um, on here too. Like what's the future of attendee communication prior to ticket sale going to be? I have a, some of that is like being in the know though, right? It's like, yeah. you know, you're not a true fan <laughs> unless you find out about the Reddit. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, like yeah. You have to be smart <laughs> enough to find way. the Reddit or smart enough to find the Discord or something along those lines. Like but I went to I, a concert I, I recently. Some... I won't I won't out them who it was, yeah. but I sent it, I sat in literally the worst seat, not because of the venue, but because of the stage design. And like had oh. I even seen like one post or something like that that just says, okay, just avoid basically it was a like one strip of seats oh, no. that, like out of the whole arena that like yeah. you should not sit in um uh, because they were doing it in the round and so and round is hard um uh, like I, w I wish i would have known that and, yeah. and i even had looked at this you know like in social media and stuff like that there probably was a reddit somewhere that said yeah i guess i wasn't a true enough fan i wasn't you know <laughs> i didn't dig dig hard hard enough well, it's interesting to me too, is like, you know, and this is maybe gets towards just general events uh, away from necessarily corporate events, but like, you know, I join these Reddit and sub uh, Discord communities, but I've been like telling my friends like, hey, come join this so you can kind of be part of this. And also too, you guys can get information and we can make sure nothing gets missed. But I almost feel this need to be the one who's in the know to share that information back to everybody. And that's obviously not a healthy thing for the event because a lot of stuff gets missed that way in a lot of ways. And I'm sure there's people who don't go, yeah, aren't in the know, don't know what's going on, that then they end up having poor experience. They're going to get denied because their fanny pack is iridescent and they're not allowed to bring an iridescent fanny pack in, you know, and those sort of things. But, you know, like it feels like too that, you know, excitement leading up to it is really huge. I don't know if I've talked about this on any of the podcasts, but like there's so much potential, I think, for the events industry to lean on the anticipation leading up to the event not just the event itself. Um, I was watching, uh, there's a YouTuber called Ali Abdul. He's like a productivity guy and he was doing a breakdown of a study that happened. And if anyone really cares, I'll cite the source and things like that. But just, you know, take this for a, th a thought process in the meantime is that he's, he talked about like, can money buy happiness? And he talked about how experiences actually were something that you can trade money to create happiness and how experiences are so important to creating happiness because even if you go to the same experience, I go to Base Canyon and then next year I go to Electric Forest and even if they have the exact same lives, they're going to be slightly different that I'm going to not have the, was it the hedonist, uh, hedonistic um, return concept, the idea that like sometimes when you spend money on like buying a car, you lose interest and desire on it after like 30 days. You don't get that with experiences because each experience is slightly different. Well, one of the things they also talked about, this is just fascinating to me, was that anticipation of the experience ends up being 
almost 90% of where the happiness comes from. And, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot leading up to Base Canyon because I'm so freaking excited for it. You know, when I get done, I get there, am I going to be just as happy as when I am leading up to it? And I think that as event planners, how can we use event technology to create that anticipation so there's an overwhelming excitement for it in some ways? Yeah, it's 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 a challenge and it's something, you know, that we'll continue to to play around with. Uh, you know, we've we've talked in the past with planners who um and this pre-pandemic would would seed their community mm -hmm. uh in the in the in the months leading up to their event. So they would, you know, they'd go to their top influencers in advance and say, "We're going to let you in first to the mm -hmm. event app platform." And so that so that when everybody else comes in, there's already people there and there's already a conversation going on and and encouraging those folks to do that with incentives like, hey, we'll give you a 20 percent discount on the show uh, to be, you know, one of these early adopter influencer types. And most people would be like, heck, yeah. Yeah. You know, but we just we need you in there early. We need you posting a lot. We need you, you know, helping people who don't know how to do things, you know, really being a community leader. Uh, on these platforms. I think that's a great way to draw, to use technology to drum up that business because one of the common criticisms we've heard of online communities is there's just nobody there. Mm -hmm. And or I get on the event app, you know, 2 weeks in advance and there's nobody there that's and there's good. no conversations going on and yeah. you know, you say, "Hi, I'm Brent from Minneapolis." and then nothing. <laughs> you know, for the two weeks, you know, and then the day of the event, more people log in and stuff like that. So it's a great way to to kind of life hack, you know, mm -hmm. getting people on your platform and getting those conversations to going is putting a little effort into it, finding the people who are the movers and shakers in your, it all goes back to, you know, knowing your audience, mm -hmm. um, you know, knowing who those oh, folks oh, oh. are and getting them on there in advance and, uh, and uh, really getting things going. Um, man, I don't know if I got anything else for next year. Yeah, you got I think we've, we've put a lot on our plate already of, of things that <laughs> we, a lot of stuff know, that worked on. <laughs> want to happen, should happen, might happen, could happen <laughs> over the course. So we've, yeah, we've got a lot to chew on uh, already. So I think, I think we've done it. I think we've done it for the day. <laughs> I'll add one last thing that I think that will continue. So we talked about like things that need to change and stuff like that is like, I think we will see next year more globalization of events like the dot like the amount of clients that we're seeing now that using translation software captioning software bringing speakers in that don't speak english or bringing uh english speaking speakers into non-english speaking areas is just huge so like yeah. i think that's something that's just going to continue to grow next year too so um that's like something exciting that i think i'll have for next I'll, year i'll add my hope to that that i agree that, that some of the things that we've learned over the course of these last two years we need to apply to our in-person events, whether it's translation software, transcription software, um, you know, being able to help people who might not be able to hear well uh, through be, through transcription software, it's so easy to add to our in-person events mm -hmm. uh, as well. That I think let's just not forget about that. And then yeah, the, the easy translation we mentioned it in the post IMEX wrap uh, episode that you know that was a trend. There was you know much more going on in the space of uh, translation software um, than there had been in previous years. So I agree. And I, yeah, I hope that continues as well, that globalization of events, because I think the more, the more that we meet and the more that we engage with people outside of our bubble, uh, the better. Definitely, definitely. On a lot of levels. <laughs> um, <laughs> true, very true. 
Well, uh, I'll pose a question to the audience. You know, what what do you see starting to happen to? What are you experiencing right now into the next year or so? Um, let us know what your thoughts are. We read each and every one of your guys' emails. So shoot us an email, yeah. eventtechpodcast at helloendless.com. But Brant, thank, thanks so much for being here and joining for another awesome episode of the podcast. My pleasure as always. Yeah, please, everyone out there, let us know. What are you seeing? Where do you think this is all going to go? What do you think we need next? What's going to happen in the area of event technology over these next few months? Let us know what you think. Absolutely. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning on in and listening all the way to the very end. And uh, make sure that you subscribe because we do this every single week at the Event Tech Podcast. And, yeah, I think we'll get out of here. Should we say time to get out? Out. Out, out, out. (laughs) Thanks again for listening to the Event Tech Podcast. Be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcasting app. Also be sure to head to eventtechpodcast.com and leave us a comment about this week's episode. Ask a follow-up question or let us know about some event tech we need to talk about. We'll see you next week on the Event Tech Podcast.